This episode of the podcast is being sponsored by the new Rabbi Dravel comic book series. Rabbi Dravel has a special place in the hearts of Jewish children, or as he would famously say, Yiddish Kindelach. Thousands have learned about all parts of Yiddishkeit, the Parsha, and have been soothed to sleep by Rabbi Dravel. Recently, Rabbi Dravel has a new series on halacha in which he relates stories with halacha woven in throughout the stories. These audio stories are now being converted into comic book form and are a fun and exciting way to teach kids about halacha. In, they even include a section in the back so of explaining each malacha that was discussed in the book. So, for example, Mavir, Goizes, Sevea, Boina, Soyser. And in each part, they refer back to the story. And now in the story, how it is, so it's a comic book. Um, and in each part of the story, it's just, it's a story. But if there comes up something that's related to halacha, so there's like a badge of sorts that tells you the halacha. And then there's a, like a, 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 a open Sefer Torah. And inside of that, the text explains the, you know, in brief, the malacha. And then in the back, there is a longer section that explains the malacha in general and how it pertains to the story. The first two books in the series are now available. That's the first one is Falsely Accused. And the newer volume that was recently released is called Shugashvili's Secret. Uh, these both are, they're more coming soon. And these are available from Israel Bookshop. Check out the links in the show's notes if you're interested in purchasing the books. Um, and as always, if anybody has any comments on the podcast or to sponsor an episode or to support the show, please email me, sfarmchatter at gmail.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Sfarim Chatter podcast. On this episode of the podcast, I'm going to be joined by Manus Blumenfracht, who is the Mechaber, the author of the newly released Sefer, Chal of Trefa, which is about the kosher milk controversy in America, in particular as it relates to Chal of Stam. And he has an entire Sefer, Sefer just written on this topic. So thank you, Manus, for joining me. Thank you for having me. So let's start off. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background. Um, so I was born and bred in Brooklyn. Um, I went to Yeshiva's Kamenetz for Masifta. Then I went to uh, the Mir Yeshiva in Flatbush. I went by Ravelli Brudney. Um, then I went to Artisrael. I went to Brisk. And then I had this chus to start a Yeshiva. I had this chus to start a Yeshiva by, um, by Revnata Greenblatt, with Revnata Greenblatt in Memphis. I, we had a few Bachim come down, and we went by him for a year, which Baruch Hashanah was like to get smicha from him. And um, I went to Lakewood afterwards, and um, I'm currently in BCS of Nevada, Baramati Yafin, in Brooklyn. Okay, so I think we should start off. We'll get to how you got into this. But I think before we start off, people are listening probably, um, sometimes I go different ways with this. I think here, let's start off with, let's give an overview of the Safer, which is of the topic, and then we'll get into how you personally got into it and to write about it. Just give an overview, and then we'll obviously go into like the specifics later on. Yeah, so uh, around 30 years ago, um, on Chal Yisrael Farms, there were mashkichim who were made aware that many cows had operations on them. And it raised a serious shaila of trefas, right? Milk from a cow, that's a trefa. The meat and the milk of a cow, that's a trefa, is asr. So it was a very big controversy, a big tumult, because on those farms, which the mashkichim were on, they were producing Chal Yisrael, um, there was a lot of, uh, they, there was a, a, a significant percentage of them above Shir Shishim, above Bittal, which is 1.6%. And um, the, the, there was a, a shaiwa regarding the cautious of the milk. It was a big shaiwa of a hefsa maruba. There was a lot of cheeses. They say hundreds of thousands of dollars of cheese, a rub told me who dealt with the shaiwa. It was a very big controversy. And the Rabbanim at the time um, 
dealt with the Shiloh. When the Shiloh was first discovered, it was in 1994 in Tafshin and Dawud in Elul, in the end of the summer. And right away, some Rabbanim put out a, 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 like an alert that people shouldn't eat any dairy anymore. Some Rabbanim then came out two days later, Rav Chaim Kohn, Shuita put out a, um, an alert to stop eating. And then he said that two days later it was okay. And uh, some Rabbanim wrote that uh, all the milk was Asr and everybody had to cash their kalim. It was like a very Chamer de Kishaiwa. So, and the Rabbanim wrote Chuvas on the Shaiwa. And uh, there was Chuvas from Rav Chatzko Roth, Zuchon of Racha, from Rav Nasha Kwan, from um, Rav Yishal Belsky, Zuchon of Racha. They all wrote Chuvas on it, in addition to Rav Moshe Hainem and Shwita and uh, Ramendel Zilber from Satmar. They all wrote Chuvas on the Shaiwa. And um, they basically were dealing with how to bidyeved work with the milk products, the Hefsamaruba, the cheeses, the milk, all the stuff that was produced, the kalim, right, for the consumer. Now, their main avenue of heter that they needed at that time, it was Bidyevet, they were using, um, if the if the surgeries render the animal trait, that was not so posh, they relied on a lot of paiskim that are not with hatchiwa, and some said that the milk was aster, they didn't give any aterium, and some said that Bidyevet, you could rely on shitas that we usually, normally would not rely on with hatchiwa. But that was really just then, 1994. From then on, the Rabbanim said there's a tshuva from, from Square, there's a tshuva from um, Rav Shalom Gross, from Bells, Rav Shalom Akoyen Gross, they all wrote that they instituted um, systems that they would remove cows from the, going on. So the Chalvi Shal Farms claimed that from then on, the issue is not relevant to them, and that's why many people did not hear about the Shaiwa. They just consume milk products and everything is fine. Um, and that, that was that was back then. That was what the Shaiwa that was what the Shaiwa um happened. The issue was um going forward, it wasn't relevant to Chal Visra anymore because they removed the cows. The problem was Khalistam. So Khalistam, um everybody knows it's a, a colloquial term, you know, people call uh, a name for something people don't like that it's called Khalistam because either it's Chal Visra or not. Some people say it's called Khalistam to make it less severe. Some people say it's Kol so it shouldn't trick a person who thinks that it's Chal Yisrael to, to thinking it's Chal Yisrael. You know, Ramosha held Ramosha's Tshuva saying that it's Chal Yisrael Mamash. That's what Ramosha is saying. So, so many people with Chal Stam, Chal Stam is, again, milk in America. The Din Shulchan Aruch is that milk that was milked by a non-Jew without a Jew supervising is Asr. That's the Din in Shulchan Aruch. Semen Kof Tesvav. Rav Moshe said that since in America there is a there's government supervision, somebody would adulterate milk and um, switch cow's milk with, let's say, camel's milk or something else like that, he would be subject to fines. His business would be shut down. So Rav Moshe said that fear of penalty substitutes for a Jew, and the milk is chal v'israel. That's what Rav Moshe says. There's a tshuva from Rav Henkin. Rav Henkin seems to say this also. He says it from the Chazanish and Rav Yaakovinetsky. So that's chal v'stam. Now, that's all the government supervision that Ramosha was talking about. He wrote the Chuva in 1950. That was talking about government supervision to make sure milk is 100% cow's milk and is not adulterated, right? If you get farmland milk in the store, it says 100% pure cow's milk. That's what the government supervision's on. There's no government supervision on this issue of the surgeries, cows that are operated on. There's no government supervision. They're regular cows. Their milk is 100% cow's milk, and it could be sold legally like any other milk. So... The Rabbanim, many Rabbanim said that even those who relied on Ramesha Feinstein should not con- continue to rely on Ramesha Feinstein because there was a new problem of cows that were operated on 
that um, raises serious shiloh of trifus. And there was no cow removal because, again, Chalfstan Farm has no mashkicham on the farms, right? It's government supervision. It's farms owned by non-Jews. So those farms, since they had no cow removal um, and no systems in place, many Rabbanim said that Chalfstan is usher because of the issue of Chalf Trefo. Now, let's just uh, to clarify, first of all, something. You keep mentioning the surgery. What Just clarify the actual procedure what what first of all what was the actual issue with the cows that they were performing this procedure and then i know that i'm not the specifics of which procedures that's something you discuss we'll get, we'll get that later i mean just in general for now what was the issue what was the surgery right so so the diseases um left displaced abomasum the abomasum is the cava and the mishnah the mishnah in the beginning of iu trefa says that the abomasum the cava if it gets a puncture it's a trefa now the abomasum lies on the right side of the cow. That's its correct anatomical position on a healthy cow. Sometimes the cow's stomach, the abomasum, fills with gas and it distends and it dislocates to the left side of the cow. Um, that raises a sakana for the cow. It's a danger. They do surgery to correct that. Now, usually when this happens, this issue starts, um, they say, I've seen statistics and this has been really another issue that should be clarified. This issue really primarily, I saw number 90%, and many people confirmed it, 90% of the time it occurs in farms, uh, cows that are in their first month of lactation. A cow that gives birth starts producing milk and nursing its calf. That milk, I mean, they take the milk for obviously for milk for, to sell in the stores. But uh, that when a cow goes from not milking, previous before it gave birth, so it's a dry cow. It's a cow that does not, it's not giving milk. So it's not eating that much. Then it switches over to becoming a cow that's producing milk to feed its young. That cow, since it's such a change in its um, feed and its calorie intake, it causes a stress in the cow, which very often leads to this disease. It leads to other diseases. And there are other causes. But at that stage, those cows, which are transition stage cows, transitioning from dry cows, not giving milk to giving milk, those cows are the ones that are prone to this issue. Um, and they usually, that's when the disease happens. Now, I just want to point out that the actual disease does not render an animal trefa. The disease itself is, um, this is for many reasons, and I'll just present one. Um, there's a mini not trefus. There's a certain number of trefus when in, in whether it's 70, like the Ramam says, or 18, it's a machoikis apoiskim. The point is we have the trefus the way they are. A trefa has to have two qualifications, according to most Rishonim. has to have a chasaran, it has to have a wound, a maka, and it has to also have the wound that will kill it within 12 months. Now, this disease, even if you were going to tell me it would die in one day, it's like cancer. Cancer is not, not render animal trefa because it's not a maka, it's not a chasaran. So this disease does not render the animal trait. So if you know a farm has 100% cows with the disease, but they were not operated on, the milk is 100% kosher. It's not a shiwa. The shiwa, the surgery that is used to correct it, that's when the shiwa comes because they open the they open the cow, they open the flanks of the, the side or the belly, the right side, the left flank. They move the abomasum back to the right side, it's the correct place, and they anchor it there. Now, when they open the cow, that is a shiwa of, Rabbi Yossi says that that's one of the trefas. They cut open the walls. That's the first one. 
And when they're dealing with the actual abomasum, which is dislocated and filled with ears, so very often they have to puncture it to wet out the ear. Right? They, a guy gave me a muscle, one of the professors, he said that if you'd have a beach ball and you'd be pushing a beach ball into the pool, right? we know that it doesn't go down. Right? It's full of ears. He said that's what it's like. With, unless you wet out the ear of the abomasum, it doesn't go down. So they wet out the ear. That would be a shadow of trephus. And then when they move the abomasum back, they anchor it. They use stitches. So it's very often... That's part of the safer. Very often, the stitches maybe go into the lumen of the cow and um, into the lumen of the abomasum, and that's a another shayu of a nekev. So that's when the shayu came up, and that's what the rabbanim were dealing with those two trephas on cows that had surgery. Okay, so the, the one last thing before we get to the safer and your research, I mean, just back then and afterwards, obviously, like you said, for Khalistan, this is a real issue. I mean, I think was the Rosh Hashanah I mean, you want to talk about what his findings were and why he passed and it is okay because well, we'll just mention that or anyone else you wanted to mention before we move on. Right. So, so the main um, the main matirim um, that are known in the world of being matir is for sure Rabbi Belsky is the most prominent as known. His chuva, he wrote two chuvas on the Shaiwa. He wrote in Hamasaira. He it's they're all print, both of them are printed in. Shulchan HaWevi, they're beautiful long chuvas, and he mainly deals with over there the surgery. He's trying to say that the surgery was not an issue at all. Now again, Chalstam does not have any systems in place to remove the cows. So Rabbi Belsky, the, the way that they dealt with the Shaiwa, Rabbi Belsky and Rabbi Heinemann, Shuita, he, he they both dealt with the Shaiwa saying that the surgeries don't render the animal trafe. And therefore, they nipped the Shaiwa in the bud. They said that the Shaiwa doesn't begin. That's how they dealt with the Shaiwa. And Rabelsky wrote a few stuff after. He said, He said that it's a Nekev He said that the Chaiwa of Tahar is Sais in the Nekev. He said a few things. Rav Heinemann used a little bit more, I would say, not with Hatchiwa Shitas. He says this, meaning Shitas that the Marsham relied on. Um, like the Ra'ah, Shitas that were not used normally by the Paiskim, but they were Mitzar of these to say the surgeries don't make a trip. And that's why Chalstam, Hagam, there's no cow removal, has no issue, even though there is surgery being done to the cows. Okay, and so you're saying, and, but on the Chalavisrol farms, they had the supervision, so they took them out, so there was just no issue. They made sure they didn't have these cows. I guess if a cow got this, issue, just took it out and finished. Yeah. Yeah, the cows have ear tags, so when they come to do a run, Chalavisrol farms, I mean, part of the farm is owned by Jews, so they they are in control, but Chalvisrol very often is not, not like a farm with a rabbi sitting on it that owns it. It's a, it's a, they go to a Gaisha farm and they do, they, they go to the person who owns it, the manager, and they tell them, and that person has records and they remove the cows, a very big process. One of the guys I emailed with, he told me he does a cow removal and he says that it's a very expensive um, thing to, it costs a lot of money to do the Chalvisrol. That's why it's expensive because, I mean, one of the reasons he said, because the cow removal is a very big thing that they do. It takes a lot of effort and uh, a lot of um, work by the mashkichim to do it. Right. Um, okay. So now why, what exactly was it that like, intrigued you about this you decided that this was something that now obviously explain the basic overview but why did you decide that this is something that you want to write about a safer about i mean you you there's a whole safer here i think there's a there's a obviously a lot of it is on that just about trefus um but why did you you know i'll mention i think the safer is around looking right now at 200 page to over 200 pages this is a big work on this why did you decide something you're going to go into and research and write a whole safer on 
Right. So, so I weren't in Memphis, but I'm not uh, sweet. I went um, Chulin, and the last parak, he actually wanted to do Trefus. He wanted to learn Trefus with us. He said it's very wondish, but the, some of the Bachan that came down said that Trefus is uh, technical. They didn't want to do it, so we shelved it. We did Shechita with him. So the last part of Chulin that I did not do was um, which is Tomatira. The last part of like the Yerdea part was um, the Trefus. So I started when I got married in Kaiwa with my Chavrusa, Chaim Weib Hutner. Helped me a lot with a lot of stuff in the Sefer. Um, so I started doing Trefus, and I always had wanted to go through the Shaiwa because I always heard about the Shaiwa. One of my brothers had, both of my brothers, um, one of my brothers had Rabbi, a Rebbe who wrote a Sefer against um, Rabbi Belsky's Heter. So I heard about the controversy. I wanted to see it, like I wanted to learn it myself. Um, and it's also very relevant. People don't even realize it. Chalostam, um, even if somebody will not consume Chalostam, no matter what circumstance, which there are many that are that don't, um, they don't realize that, or they do realize, but many don't realize that they are very, there are other coolest because of Ramesha that they rely on. First of all, which I think is the most prom, like the most relevant, people rely on dairy equipment, stuff, dairy equipment, stuff that's cooked in, um, Kalim that had Chalvestam cooked in it previously. A lot of ices, black coffee, creamers, I could listen now for two hours, stuff that's D-E, K-D-E, O-U-D-E, all the stuff that's parav. people eat it after their fleshics. And um, they're relying on Rav Moshe because, to a certain extent, um, because Chal of Akum, if Rav Moshe would not be correct, if if you would say that the milk is 100% usher from Chalvestam aspect, not about the trefus, just about Chal of Akum, so the Ramah says that Chalvakam asks Kalim, you can't cook something in a pot and eat it that's cooked in Chalvakam. But Rav Moshe, there, there are people who say Bashim Rav Moshe that even though Rav Moshe said about Nefesh should be Yachmer and should not eat Stam, there's no Indian to be Machmer on Kalim. Rav Henkin writes in the Chuva and Gvur Salio, he says that even those that are Machmer on Chalvakam are Mako on Kalim. Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky writes that there seems to have been already back then this, this, um, Attitude that Kalim is much more cow. So that's all if we're dealing with Chal Stam. If the Shai was about Chal Stam, so you could say the, whatever the, the Svaras are. That for Kalim, there are, there's a Ramah in Halchas by Chalim that says that Kalim are more cow, whatever the Svar is. But Kalim, you could say, are more cow since people rely on Ramesh, so and they drink Chal Stam. So for Kalim, you could say that they're Mako. But if it's a Shai of Trefus, you can't eat something that was cooked in a Trefa pot. So it becomes a much more Hamad the Kashaiwa. I remember speaking to people when I brought up the issue, they were like, I wouldn't touch Chalvestam. And I said, what about DE? They're like, because of the Trefus. They told me because of the Trefus problem. And I said, what about DE? And they were like, blown away. Like, wow, that's a good point. You know, there was a lot of that. It's it's relevant. There's also people that go out of town. People that live out of town, they don't have Chalvestam. Uh, any state that you're in that's not uh, Chicago, Los Angeles, Detroit, there's no Chalvestam. So if it's Chalvestam, it's a much more Chalvestam than Kishaiwa. Um, people that travel, right? That's also obviously when people, some people rely on Chalvestam. And then um, there are, this is uh, one of the people in, in nursing homes and hospitals, elderly, there's some protein shakes and some milk and different stuff that are only made with Chalvestam that people rely on. That's all good if you're, if the Shia was about Rav Moshe, then a lot of Rabbanim are mekel in certain circumstances that you could rely on Rav Moshe, even if you normally wouldn't for Chalvestam. But Trefa is much more common to Shia. And the most, the biggest Shiloh that like that people had told me already that I helped them with Baruch Hashem, I'm happy that I had a yad in helping some people is formula. People that will not touch baby, they will not touch Chalvestam. 
Hasid Shiyid, and I spoke to one of the biggest Rabbanim in Satmar about the Shaiwa. And he he didn't write it's Asar and his Chuva. He wrote a Chuva in the Shaiwa, but he he said that um he of course he took Khalfstam Wuchamra and he said that for formula they're Mako, some Khasidim are Mako. And I asked him, what about this Shaiwa? And he he like he didn't know what to do when I asked him the Shaiwa. The the Shach says in, in Yerdea that that there is Tintama wave on and it's to the Rabbanon. Somebody, who, this this milk, even if you would give me a hat that I could feed my child because it's formula and a kid has a din of a chayua and you could give an it's to the Rabbanon to a chayua, the Bira Wacha says. But what about Timtama Wave? It was just, it was all, it's very relevant, even for those that are not Makbid, that are Makbid on Chalvi Yisrael Mamish. It's a very relevant chayua and um, it's much more chamer if we are to say that it's a trefa issue. It leads to a lot of problems in addition to kashering. There are coolers with kashering if it's chav treif, it's a regular iser. So, so it's a much more common to kashayla. And when I was learning the sugyas, I decided that like I want to see for myself like what what's going on and uh, try to figure this out. Okay, so I guess that that probably explains. I guess the first eighteen prakim here, the beginning of the same where you went to the sugya, you went through treifus, you got involved in all things. But the interesting part, I guess, the main part that's interesting for the for the podcast. Um, I, you know, I assume what people will be talking to you about it just, you know, in the street or whatever is the part where you actually went through your research and you went through when you discussed, as you already alluded to, I mean, say to you, like you went from a different angle, not the angle of was the surgery. You went even before that. So, I mean, how did you start doing this process? Like, I'm going to research this. I'm going to go into this and figure all this out. Or was it first that you went to the sugya of the trefus from what you were learning? And then you got to this after. How did that happen? Right, so really the latter. Um, I, I didn't intend to write a safer. That was not my intention. I, again, I decided to look into the surgeries, into all that issues. Um, so when I was running Eu Trefus, um, I got my hands on all the chuvas. I got Ravelsky's chuva, Chaim Kohn's chuva. He, I had to get it from him. It's not printed. Um, Rabbi Chuba, everybody's Chuba. Rabbi Bleich wrote an article on it. I got everybody's um, Chuba's and I started to like figure out the details of the surgery. And um, I was comparing the fact that, facts of the surgeries, the way they were describing it. And then I was going to figure out the, the din of the cows based on the surgeries, that what their din is based on how the procedures are done. But there was really like, there was no consensus. Like what one Rav was writing the way they do the surgery, another rough was writing the opposite. One rough wrote they puncture this organ, the other rough said they do it this way, another rough said they usually do puncture, they don't puncture, they cut here, they cut there. So I decided that I wanted to um, research it like from scratch. I went back to the to the Yisai, to the base to try to figure out like how the veterinarians do it themselves. Um, I got my hands on some medical books, um, some veterinary books, and uh, I got and I started emailing professors. I would just get email addresses of professors and veterinarians. And I just started shooting out emails, as many emails as I could, thousands of emails with questions exactly detailing the different, like the parts that the Rabbanim that there was no consensus on, I wanted to see like what they were saying. So I was shooting out emails one after the other. And um, I was getting responses. You know, they were very nice. I wrote, I made sure that I knew what I was talking about. I wrote like a nice detailed email. There's nothing that like a professor likes more or a veterinarian than somebody knows what they're talking about. I had, I spoke to veterinarians on the phone for hours. They were so happy that somebody cared about their profession. So I, I had actually some good contacts. I still do. That um, that helped me very much understand certain things. There was like one part with the chaylev that one Rav was saying they puncture at this organ and the other one saying that it's not true. And I just trying to figure it out. So that was one issue that took a long time. It's in my Sefer and Simon, uh, I think it's Simon Yud. 
Um, that was what I was busy with. And I finished, after I finished doing all this, um, my opinion was, which I'm not a qualified rough to Paskin for anybody, but my personal opinion was that the Hatarim were very schwer. They were, they were maybe somebody who needed to rely on it, but many people, that they, they view it as if it's the same. They live in Brooklyn and Lakewood and Muncie anywhere, and they'll just go buy it without thinking twice. Now, they're one of Moshe, Rabdava Feinstein. They were on people who said that there's no Indian to be Machmer or whatever. Moshe did say it, but people are Mako, and there's a minute to be Mako, which I'm not discussing. That's not the point of my part of, of anything I'm saying. But if they would know, I just felt if people would know this Shaiwa, then they wouldn't rely on Flatbush on, on Khalstam. They would they would be Machmer when they could. Maybe for me while they would be Mako, but they wouldn't be, be Mako for Hagen does. So so I uh so I um so I started to compile my my uh, information, and I I went to Rabbanim. I started speaking to Rabbanim, and like a lot of Rabbanim told me, "Yeah, of course it's Usher. Like, what are you like? What, like, you just discovered America five hundred years late." I was late to the thing. This was before I, when I was born. I was two years old, but I didn't know exactly like what to do. A lot of Rabbanim were telling me it was Usher. A lot of Rabbanim who prominent Rabbanim, reliable Rabbanim, they said it's a problem, and uh, it, it I just. Didn't figure out what was going on. It was a, it, it was like a personal commotion. This thing, this whole issue that nobody cared about it. I started compiling my notes, which is the first half of the safer on the trefus, trying to like raise awareness that people should know that the surgeries make the animals treif. And according to a lot of Paiskim, Rabbi Belsky and Rabbi Heinemann, I'm not telling anybody not to or to. That's 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 up to. That's not my job. But if people would know, I just felt that people would know that the Hatayim were not as simple as it sounded. Or when people say, which like really irks me, when people say, oh, the cow lives 12 months after the surgery. That's like, that's like you didn't even open a Shulchan Aruch. The Ramah says that a cow that has that has Vada is done to it, even if it lives, is treif. It doesn't make a difference what happens to the cow. The cow could have 200 descendants listening in Kailo. The cow is Asr. It's a Ramah. It's from a Rajba. It's a Rambam. There's Chubas. The Svaras are whatever you want to say. It's Asr. That's what the Ramah says. So People didn't know this, and it was just, it was just like I was like I don't say appalled, but like I couldn't because there were rabbanim who said so much. I just couldn't figure out what was going on. That's the honest truth. I, I couldn't figure out what was going on with the whole situation. Right. Okay. So first of all, you make a good point. We were not discussing Chol of Stam at all. I think that should have been clear, but it's good you emphasize we are not discussing that. That's not the point of this. Everyone can do whatever they, their local LOR, whatever they hold. If it's not, that's not the point of the conversation. This is a, a conversation about this topic. Just. You know, you went into this, so you, you went to look through it. That's, and we're just talking about the safer. Um, so, you know, spoiler alert, you hold, you come out at the end that it's not an issue um, at all. You know, it's funny because I posted on Twitter, I said, oh, I'm going to be doing, I either posted the safer, I'm going to be doing it. And someone's like, someone's trying to reignite controversy. And I, I, I responded, I knew your, your, your conclusion, but I wrote like, why don't you read the, the safer? I think that's what I wrote. I wanted to write, like, why don't you read the book? Don't, don't just comment on Twitter that like about somebody. You know, it, it, you're not trying to reignite any controversy. You were, like you said, you were learning the sugi, you were going through it and you're trying to come up with what, what's going on. So obviously, like you said, you were going through the trade for things. So then, then you, I mean, I won't talk for you, but it seems like it, I clarify this. If it's not, you went and you rolled it back all the way to the beginning to the DA, right? That's what it's called. And you went back to look at it, what was going on with the cows. So explain the process. What was your research there? And how did you, what did you end up coming up? What had you come up with at the end that it's not an issue? Right. So at the time when I was compiling my, my surgery, when I was doing my research into the surgeries, I kept on doing research. I kept on like 
contacting as many professors as I could because everybody was giving me like a new chachma. More or less, they were all saying the same thing. It seems that's how they're taught and uh, they have methods. But I was, so I was shooting out questions. Now, um, um, I was shooting out questions to um, um, the professors. I was, let's say six questions, I believe it was. The first five were all related to the surgeries, how they puncture it, where they cut, all the stuff. And then my sixth question was, I was asking them um, if they could tell me the incidence, the percentage of uh, disease on the farms. Hopefully they would, I mean, professors don't really go on farms. Many of them do. Um, many of them go, you know, they, they survey, they go for different reasons for the state, for um, their like council for farms. But I didn't really have the best contacts for it, but I... And some veterinarians were nice and they gave me some, but I was emailing them and asking them if they could be nice and share some uh, um, relevant statistics about the disease, of how often and how prevalent it is on farms. Right. Um, I think you, you mentioned, we forgot to mention in the beginning that you, you did talk to a professor, right? That was one of the big ones, the one that like was involved. They were, everyone was quoting him in, in, in the country. Yes, yes. What, what was his name? What was that? Dr. Steven Eicher. Right. Yeah. He was, uh, yeah, so so that was that's the, the next. So, so what happened basically was, um, so as I was going through it, like in the beginning, there was a woman in California from, uh, I think, Berkeley Davis. I don't know what the, I forgot what the college was already. So four years ago, I've been doing this for a long time already. This is, uh, so, she, so she said, like, I don't know, have statistics for you, but there's a report from the government from 2014, which puts the number at 2.2%. So that already like raised some, like set me off a little bit because the Rabbanim that dealt with the Shiloh um, all assumed that there was no Shishim. There was no Bittal against them. Meaning like this, even if the cow is treif, even if we assume the cow is 100% treif, doesn't mean the milk is Asr necessarily. That cow's milk is Asr. But the milk in a farm is milked up from many cows. Now, if there's more than 60 times that cow's milk on the farm, the milk would be Mutter because it's Bittal. So what, what did the Rabbanim who answered, what did they do with this? So you read all the chuvas, it's clear that they, they many of them assume it, but most of them write, they put it out straight, clear. They say that um, the the um, the incidence was above Shishim. Shishim is 1.6%. They say it was above that. They quote numbers of 5 to 15%. Um, Rav Menashe Koin, um, Rav Yitzchak Stein, he's the Fata Chana Dain in Borough Park, um, who else quoted um, one, 5 to 15%. Um, uh, oh, he also quoted 5 to 15%. Um, Rav, Rav Mendel Zilber quoted 5 to 15%. Many Rabbanim quoted 5 to 15% as a number. Um, and and uh, it seems to be coming from a certain report. Who The lead on this was Rabbi Bleich wrote an article on the Shiloh also. He wrote that Dr. Stephen Eicher had a report. It was a not published um, report from him, but he had the numbers at five to fifteen percent, which is very high. And they all wrote that there's no shishim, there's no bittel, so there was no avenue to permit the milk from there. So they were all busy writing chuvas. Everybody was busy writing chuvas for the surgery aspect. They were not dealing with the issue of the percent of the actual disease, right? Rabbi Nasha Klein wrote in his in in his chuva. He said that since the, the surgeries are done on the statistics are muchachas, shastatistika muchachas, that there is between 5 and 15%. He says between Esser and 15%, 10 and 15% in the entire state. 
in the entire country. He says it's usher to go and buy the milk because we know in this in this country, in the state, that's very common and you have to be for it even without knowledge. Meaning you have to assume every farm has a high percentage. That was the assumption from the Rabbanim here. And um, that report that that lady, that professor had sent me was not checking out. 2.2%, yes, it is above 1.6, but it's much, it's way, a lot below 5%. I mean, I got numbers from even earlier, right? That's 2014, the report was earlier. But um, in 2007, there was a report that was, about, I think, 2.8%. It was all around, it was much lower than what the Rabbanim were saying. So that, uh, like, rang a bell with me. And at the same time, one of the professors that was helping me with the surgeries, he actually invented the sur- one of the surgeries, the toggle surgery, the toggle method. His name is uh, Keith Sterner. He helped me very much with um, one of the issues of the trephus. He told me that I should contact the professor in Cornell, who actually dealt with the Rabbanim when the Shiloh started. And that, that professor said that most large herds in New York State have well below 2%. That's what he said. So I already saw that something's going on here with the numbers, and I wanted to research that more. Okay, so then you, so obviously you're saying that these numbers, I don't know if we explained it, those numbers is an issue because it wasn't a big issue because like you're saying, it's Batal Bashishim. If we have, because the milk gets all mixed up, if it's below 1.6%, it's irrelevant whether they have this issue and then they do the surgery, whether or not the specific surgery makes it a trade. We can get into that at the end, but just regardless, it's not going to be a problem. And they were assuming it was this higher number. So now you had, like you said, these conflicting reports. You're speaking. So what you do from there? How did you research this further to find out what's really going on? Right. So, so what happened was, um, I I started to contact again. I like restarted my emails and I started trying to get actual farms details. Um, one of my friends gave me a very good eight. So I had a contact farms, Usher Freed. He gave me a new avenue because I was not having success, and I started contacting farms and I got responses. I sent that around, I would say four thousand emails to farmers. I got like. 400 responses, like 10% of that, pretty good. They thought I was pedo, a lot of them. They thought I was trying to figure out if they're, uh, they're cruel, the cruelty issues to the cows. So I I was I told them I don't like, you know, whatever. I was I was trying to, I, I had to get through to them. So Baruch Hashem, I was able to um, successfully get a lot of information. Um, and what was unbelievable was that I was getting a totally different view of the picture than what the Rabbanim were assuming. Um, the Rabbanim, the Shiawa came up on farms that the Rabbanim were on. They were producing Chal Yisrael, Mashkichim were there, they saw the cows, they knew the numbers. They couldn't be mattered on Shishim, they couldn't use Bittal. They had to use the avenue of the surgery approach, right? Even the Rabbanim at the time, they wrote a lot of Hatarim on the surgery for the cheeses and the Hatsim Maruba and all that I mentioned. But um, who's to say that just because of what they saw on the farms that they were on, that that necessarily means that that was going on in America. Now that was the assumption here. Everybody was assuming that all the Rabbanim in the Chuvas at least seem to assume that some write that explicitly that every farm in America has um, trephus. But um, what I was getting was a little different picture. Um, I got farms that were telling me that they haven't had the issues in decades. They were working on preventive measures. Again, that's what's the disease displaced abomeza comes transition stage cows when they are, when they are uh, after birth, when they start lactating, when they have issues of they're consuming um, food and their, their intake is higher and they have that stress. A lot of farms work on preventive, preventative measures. They have, um, they have nutritionists and they give special feed. They make sure the cows are in special corrals and that they don't have stress and they don't push them for milk production. They don't have any issues at all. They prevent it. They, they have um, people monitoring it. 
People use boluses, they put stuff into cows to monitor their temperature and other issues because this disease comes from, is usually a result of other diseases. So they're watching the cows. So there were a lot of farms that had no issues at all. One veterinarian told me she used to do 30 surgeries a month. And she now she does one because cows are working, because a lot of farms for many years are already working on prevention. So that was, first of all, I found a lot of farms that were working to prevent it. Then I had farms that did have high numbers and they sold the cows. They didn't even, they didn't do the surgery. Now, again, the disease does not make the cow, the, the cow into a trefa. So you have a farm with 10% of cows that have um, displaced abomasum. They're not trefa. Only if they do surgery, only if they operate on them. These farmers didn't operate on them. Surgery costs $300. A new cow is $900. They'd rather invest in a new cow. They want, They don't buy cars. They lease cars. You know, that's how they are. Some were big farms. You know, some of them, the financials of every farm was relevant. Some farm only did surgery. He told me one guy said, I can't afford to, to, do sur- to not do surgery. I can't afford a new cow. I have to invest in this cow. You know, I have to pay 300 bucks. I can't afford the $900. So that was another one. Then I had farms that were trait. There were farms that had above shishim, and they did do surgery. And they did surgeries in a way that made it trait. That was a problem. Then there was a farm that, there were many farms that they did surgeries in ways that didn't make them trafe. Then there were farms that rolled the cows. Or they were just, it was a whole, I want to say mishmash. Everything was different. Every farm had a different story. Every farm had a different concern, different considerations when they were dealing with the cows. And there was definitely not one size, there was no one size approach to this whole Shiloh. Um, and I started like speaking to experts about the Shiloh to try to figure out if this is what they see also. And they said, yeah, every farm has different things. A person in one of the professors in Utah, he's been on 25% of farms in Utah. He told me most farms for years are already selling cows, just more financially. Uh, it's, it's a smarter option for them. Another person told me that he works as a preventive measure, preventative measures on those things. You know, I, I, there was all different, um, there was all different things. And there were definitely farms that were trafe. There were definitely farms that were kosher. So, um, I started to contact again, and I was contacting um, professors. And um, what, I, what they were getting is like what I said, that um, there was no one size fits all to all farms. Every farm was a different story. So I went back and I was Matsuyach. I was able to contact this Dr. Eicher, who was the um, source of the statistics. And I asked him like, what was going on, right? He's quoting Rabbi Baich's article. And it seems to be he's the one that all the Rabbanim are coming from. So I asked him, why everybody's quoting his numbers, all the Rabbanim. So he said, it's very simple. He said, when the Shiloh came up, he didn't say Shiloh, but he said, when the issue came up, so Cornell University is on the East Coast. So the Rabbanim went up upstate to Cornell and Ithaca, and they spoke to, they came to, it's a, Cornell is one of the biggest um, um, dairy, has a very big dairy department. So they all came there. And his report was the only one, or one of the only ones that were published. So they were all either quoting his numbers or sending them to him. He said he spoke to every Rav. He said from different, uh, he told me Hasidish Rabbanim and not Hasidish Rabbanim. It's very interesting. Um, he remembered it was almost 30 years ago. And he told me that he spoke to all of them. He was the source of the numbers. And I asked him, I said, what's going on? The, the numbers are not, they're not fitting with what I'm seeing. So he said, listen, he said, I never meant this to be a report on what's going on in America. He's like, I didn't even, he said, I didn't even mean it to be a report on what's going on in New York, not even the Western region of New York. This was nothing to do, this had nothing to do with that. He said, what I was trying to do is figure out something else. I was trying to figure out diseases effects on, on, um, on cow's milk production. He said, and I wanted to get accurate statistics. So I went to a, um, a certain veterinarian. I asked him for his records and I, and based on his records, which I knew were accurate because he gave me his records, 
I published my report. He said it was one veterinarian. It was 26 farms near each other. They all had the same nutritionist. That's what he told me. He said, that's what we call in, in, in academics, a convenient sample. A convenient sample means, he said, if you would stand in front of a grocery store and you would wait at seven to eight at night and you would ask everybody, let's see, I want to see who drinks more Coke or Pepsi for supper. So you'd wait outside from seven to eight and you'd ask a hundred people, 75 say they drink Coke, 25 Pepsi. You say, oh, 75% of people drink Coke, 25% drink Pepsi. He said, that's not a, that's not a sample. Sample has to sample or it has to be able to include it, be inclusive of all different um, populations and whatever, however it works. He said, that's not a good sample. He said, this is what my sample was. It was not a representative sample. It wasn't even representative of a region of New York, Culture in New York and Culture in America. Now, again, New York in those days had 11,000 farms. So we're talking about his report was 26 farms on 11,000. That's under 1%. It's a very small sample to go and to decide that what he saw was on all the other farms. And he didn't say that. He said he never meant that. He just said that was the numbers they were asking me and that was the numbers I had. So I provided it to them, but he said it was not representative. And he said, of course, every farm has different numbers. And of course, every farm has different calculations and considerations. And what they do is always different. So it's just not representative. And he told me that like, you can't, he said every state, it could vary from farm to farm what they do. So it's said that like, he should, I should not put any um, significance to his numbers. Right. So what, what I know about the dairy farms in New York is from constitutional law. Uh, so some famous cases. So when um, you, you mentioned uh, just, just a couple of things to follow up on, you mentioned there are 11,000 farms in New York at that point there was, I mean, New York is a big uh, state in dairy production. Right? I just want to clarify uh, what, like what do we know? Do you know when, what it was then or what it is now percentage of the U S yeah. to give listeners an idea? Yes. So, so New York um, today, actually, California is the biggest production, the biggest dairy production, I think, then is Wisconsin, then New York, um, Pennsylvania is up there, Idaho now is big. Um, New York had 11,000 farms when the Shiloh came up. America had 150,000 farms. Um, New York today has about 4,000 farms. Um, and America has about 30 to 35,000 farms. The, the farms numbers have been decreasing because farms are consolidating. The smaller farms are going out of business and um, they're, not, uh, they're not profitable. And uh, that's why many farms are just gearing towards the larger part, which leads me to something else that this Dr. Iker told me. Um, he told me this, this was something that I discussed with him, but I also discussed with another professor in Cornell. The professor in Cornell told me another very interesting point. I Meaning, besides the fact that every farm has different numbers and was mutter and usser, some were mutter, some were usser, he told me, he said that, let's say I give you two numbers. One professor was very nasty to me. He told me, he said, you're wasting your time. You don't know what you're doing. He said, uh, he said, let's say I give you two farms numbers. One farm has 10% and they do surgeries. And one, one farm has 1% and doesn't do surgeries. And you're going to say, oh, so these are only two farms and one's kosher and one's non-kosher. He said, that's one way to look at it. He said, but what if I tell you the farm with 10% of those surgeries has 100 cows and the farm that has 1% has 1,500 cows? He said, it's 15 times as big. Do you think that you should look at the milk that way, the same way? He said, 15 times the amount of milk is coming out of the other farm. He said, you're not looking at milk production. You're looking very narrowly. So that also opened a whole new thing because he told me with his experience that larger farms, since they are better off financially, they have a much... Um, have a much easier time uh, dealing with the cows and preventing them, and they sell the cows much more often. So there was another consideration besides for what I mentioned before, that 
farms of all sizes had different approaches. Some did surgeries and some didn't. A lot of farms were, the, a lot of the large farms in America, um, a lot of the milk in America, most of the milk in America comes from large farms. And um, the milk was coming from large farms. And according to him and other experts, and I've seen that with my data, my data is not representative, but from my data, I think I got like 50 to 60 large farms. They were all very significantly low numbers. Even the ones that had hired, many of them sold them. So a lot of the milk, it's very possible a majority of the milk, which is coming from large, which is coming from large farms, is doesn't even have the shy. I don't know that. I didn't contact most large farms. But that's what they were saying, that you can't look at the Shiawa just as farm, 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 farm. You have to look at it as milk production. And um, it was a very interesting, um, it was a very interesting, uh, it shed a lot of light on the Shiawa. So like I was dealing with two parts of the Shiawa. I was dealing with the actual dairy, like the farm thing. And I was dealing now with the milk production, which led me into the milk, the way milk is produced. But um, yeah, that's basically what I'm what I'm trying to say is that uh, most it seems that the the statistics that were that were that were being what the rabbanim were assuming was based on statistics of a very small sample, which may not represent what was going on in America, and um, maybe it didn't represent what's going on in America then either. Right. So that we won't get you know we'll leave it at that for regarding the different states and the big and small farms. I think people can read you have you have, in your safer, which is now available to purchase. We'll include a link in, in the show's notes, and people can listen in the farm stores. And also, you have a small uh, English write-up that people can contact you. You'll give them your email, and I'll put it in the, in the show's notes that people can contact and read more about that in there. But what I do, um, what I'm just, just in, even though you say there's big farms and small farms, just I mean, how how many farms overall though did you contact, and like what percentage of is like overall farms in the state and like in the in the countries that are just curious? Oh, so I contact. I sent about 3,500, 4,000 emails. I got. Um, 380 responses or 350 I don't know about 380 for sure 380 farms um maybe more some of them I just couldn't make out what their cash status was so 3500 farms when I was doing it was approximately um the amount I contacted was approximately 10% of farms in America I got 10% of that so it's about 1% of farms in America now I understand that 1% is not a sample that I'm going to now say that this is definitely what's happening in America I'm not I'm not saying I know what's going on in every farm. That's not the, the purpose here. And I'll explain, I guess, later why this should make a difference halachically. But my sample size was way more than the one that Rabbanim were basing on. The, the numbers that I had, I mean, Dr. Eicher was 26 farms that he reported on. The Rabbanim weren't on that. But the Rabbanim on the West on five, 10 farms. We're dealing with 380 farms. Now, that's a lot. It's a much higher number than, than what the Rabbanim were doing Right. Okay. I mean, you could you can go into it now already. I mean, with all this stuff. But but I mean, just want to mention now once we're talking about. It, I mean, so you only did one percent. I mean, how does that really halachically? And you know, let's bring bring your research to halacha. So now that you did this research, you're coming out with the numbers. Obviously, we didn't get like I said. I, I don't know. You can mention here. But I don't know how specific we're going to get here on a podcast about numbers. It's in your article. It's in the safer even more. So we don't have to like you know. But but how does that? You can talk a little bit about the numbers that you ended up getting to very different farms and how does you know halachically now. Why? Why is that not an issue then? Right. So I, I spent a lot of time on in writing up this up in my safe routes and sending you tests. Anybody wants to see it? It's all the information is there. They could see the statistics and the amount of farms. Right. I contacted 380 farms. 75% were kosher. 25% were not. That is not. I'm not saying that's a sample in America, but that was from my numbers. 
Um, it's all there, all the information. And I, I wrote over there about what they do and the way they deal with the cows and all that's over there. If somebody wants to see that barichas, at length, you can see it over there. Um, what was relevant to me was that this is a very important question, what you're asking. Now, even I'm admitting, and this is a fact, you don't need me to admit it, there are farms that are not kosher. There are farms that have a high number, they do surgery, they make a trafe. So, meaning if you don't go like, again, like those are bottom horamatra, if you hold the surgeries, make a cow trafe, there are farms in America that are trafe. So, how do you buy a bottle of milk in the store? So, this was another um, thing that Rabbanim wrote about. They wrote that it's Efshel of Ruri. One could trace, determine where his milk came from and determine the statistics. And therefore, even though there, let's say, are whatever number of kosher farms, but since there are also non-kosher farms, you have to be chayshish, you have to suspect that maybe your milk came from a farm that was, um, that had trephus, that had cows that were operated on. So I started to look into that also, and I think it was a, a misunderstanding um, of how the dairy process works. And again, this is all the difference between Chav Yisrael and Chav Stam in the Shiloh. Chav Yisrael, again, the farm, the, the mashkicham are on the farms. They see the cows. They have they they speak to the managers, right? They make signing contracts coming down. They could sign whatever they want. They could check anything they want, and they do. They claim they re, they they remove the cows. However, Chav Stam. Milk is not the way people think. Many people think that milk is just milked on the farm, put into a bottle on the farm and sent to the store. That's not how it goes. Um, I just want to give like a muscle. I have like a, if you have a bottle, a bottle from Target, you know, there's a, there's a, a code on about every bottle of milk, a code. If you look at the top, even the Chalvi straw have it. There's a code. And there's, Target has a company, Good and Gather. That's their company. It says on it, 34, 15, 94. That's what it says. So I'll just give a stickle beer or what those words mean, like explanation. Uh, there's a website, where's my milk from? You put that code in, you can find out where your milk was processed. The first two numbers, 34, 1594. 34 is the state. 34 means New, is New Jersey. 36 is New York. 42 is Pennsylvania. I think 12, I believe, is Florida. Um, uh, 16, I think, is Maryland. There are different things. We're going to deal with 34, New Jersey. So we're dealing with milk that was processed at a plant in New Jersey. 1594. 1594 is the name of the, is the plant, plant's identification. It's in Burlington, New Jersey, um, 45 minutes from BMG. Anybody could go check out the plant. It's a big plant. Um, so this is the bottle of milk. That's what we just talk about now. So the milk that I have now in front of me came from this farm, from this plant in Burlington, New Jersey. Now you could go onto Google Maps, you could see there are 10 big silos in the plant, 10 big things where they store milk. Now, what happens is, is that farmers don't have, they don't sell you milk, it's not directly from them, it comes from that plant. Farmers sell the milk to the plant, they're part of co-ops, cooperatives, which ensure that their milk gets sold. A famous one, Dairy Farmers of America, represents thousands of farms, they, they, they go pick up the milk from the farm, they send the truck, and the farm goes and brings the milk to the plant. Now, a farm that has 300 cows is not producing enough milk to fill up a tanker. So that, that truck goes, picks up the milk, takes the tanker, drives to the next farm down the block and picks up milk from there. Then it goes to another farm and then it goes to another farm or if it's full, it goes to the plant. They arrive at the plant and they put the milk into the silo. Now this happens, as I mentioned, this plant in Burlington has tens of, has I think 10 silos, whatever, has a lot of silos. It means that it's dealing with dozens of farms' milks, maybe hundreds. Now, how, how is somebody supposed to trace milk in such a situation? First of all, 
the reason why I shouldn't even be my rech on this is because try calling the plant. If they pick up the phone, I want somebody to call me. Please tell me. There's no success. I've tried. I've emailed. I did everything I could. That's first of all. You can't get through. You can't get through. Second of all, um, they don't need. They have no achrayas to you. You're not a consumer. They don't have it. They, they're a consumer. They don't care about you. But besides for that, what are they supposed to tell you? It came from this silo. Now, what are they going to know? Now, they have information on which trucks dropped it off by them. So they could go to the trucker. They could get, okay, this truck went to five farms. And then they know in that silo, there were these 10 trucks. So these 10 trucks went to these 50 farms. Now, here, here are these 50 farms. Go have a nice day and find out where your milk came from. Besides the fact you're not going to get that information, if you get that information, I would appreciate if somebody could send it to me. But you're not even going to, even if you get that, what are you supposed to do then? Now, again, I want to clarify, um, before I clarify the Hawaka part of it, I just want to say IBM, I by chance got a, a podcast by IBM. They're dealing with this issue. IBM um, wants to try to stop um, waste. And there's a very big issue. When one farm has contamination, they have to throw out the entire plant's day's milk. That All the milk that was in the plant that day goes in the garbage. Now, why? There was only one farm that had contamination. Find out what, what bottles came from that farm and throw out only those bottles. What's the answer? Because they can't. It's all mixed up. So IBM is trying. They're setting up blockchain. They're working on it. This was two years ago. I listened to the podcast. There's no new information on it. It doesn't seem like it has been going anywhere. Maybe it will one day. But IBM says that if you listen to it, there's no way to trace milk to the source farm. That's why they have to throw it out. So it's really not a shy law. I mean, I confirmed it with experts. One expert told me, he said, Whoever says that you could trace milk, he said he'd have an easier time tracing where the wood in his table came from in his dining room, which tree it came from, than finding out which farm it came from. That's what one person told me, and he hung up the phone. Now, that was on that aspect. Now, what does this mean halachically? My entire shiloh, which I did not mention, um, I didn't emphasize this, but the entire issue out here, issue that we're dealing with, again, Stam, we're dealing with the issue of the trephus. The trephus, let's assume the trephus make the cows 100% non-kosher. Now we said that it's usr, the milk is usr. The milk is not usr midaraisa, it's not usr minataira, right? For it to be usr minataira, you'd have to say 51% of the milk on every farm's tank came from cows that were, that were operated on. Nobody thinks that most cows on a farm are operated on. It's a minority, so it's for sure batal baraif, it's for sure an isadara button to start. So we're dealing with an isadara button. Now, as I told you before, there are farms that are kosher. There are farms that are not kosher. Now, somebody can't, you can't trace. Um, it's impossible to trace where your milk came from. So now I have this bottle from Target, 1534-1594. I know it's from Burlington. It's an Issa de Rabbanan at most, but it's not a Vada Isser. Again, the Rabbanans have to be Asr, the Vada to be, to be um, Asr. To be, it has to be Vada Isser. The threshold for the Rabbanans is harder than the Raisa. The Raisa suffix is Asr. You have a doubt, you have to be stringent on a deraisa. But on a derabanan, it has to be a vade. Nobody could tell me that the milk I got from the target, this good and gather milk, is asr bevade. How could you, you can't trace the milk. Maybe it came from a farm that was kosher. Um, maybe it came from a farm that was not kosher, but it's a suffolk. It's a bona fide suffolk. Um, and since it's a suffolk, it's a isr derabanan at most. And it's a suffolk because it could be it came from a farm that was kosher. And one cannot trace it. Um, so, so therefore it's not, uh, it should be mutter. That's basically what my hetter is. Now, I just want to point out, even if somebody wants to say that you could trace milk, even if it is, which I firmly and strongly say it's not correct, but if somebody wants to say you could trace milk, 
we have to realize something. We're dealing with an Isra de Rabbanan at most, a Suffolk Isra de Rabbanan, right? Suffolk de Rabbanan, the Chiv to be Mevar or Suffolk de Rabbanan is only if it's Bekal. There's no Chiv to do it Betircha. There's no Tircha like this Tircha. Getting through to the plant, getting the numbers, then you have to realize that even if you get those 50 farms' names, you're going to go to the farm and you're going to ask them, can you tell me your numbers? Why? They have no Achrayas to tell you. They may not even keep records. This is such a, a, a far-fetched thing that this Chiv of Ruri it's besides the fact that they're not even going to pick up the phone to start, and besides the fact that you can't trace it, but even if it would be possible, it's an Isidur Abundant, and at most, it, it only needs to be traced if it would be easy, the cow, and it's not. So it seems to be, I mean, in my opinion, it seems to be that yeah, it's not a Shiloh, that the milk should be mutter. Ochal Stam is the suffix. When you buy it in a store, you don't know where it came from. Now, of course, if you have a cow in front of you that had surgery on it, then it comes back into Rabbi Belsky or behind him in territory. You have to know how you pass it on that. But that's not what the Shabbat Chalstam. Chalstam, the milk is mixed in. The farm, it's mixed in. It's mixed in from a lot of different farms. So the Shaiwa really seems to be Pasha that the milk should be mutter. I'm not paskening. I'm just presenting my opinion. Um, and I just want to point out an interesting thing that based on this information, um, people who were consuming Chalstam their whole lives and never ate Chal Yisrael, they would have an advantage back in the 1994 when the Shaiwa came up because Till Chal Yisrael were makbed on, on the cow removal, they had the issue, right? They knew their farms. They were on the farms. And they saw that there was no shishim, there was no bittel. So they had to use other atayrim for the surgeries, which were not with chatchiwa. But Chal Stam seemingly was always mutter. It was always a suffolk. Nobody knew where it came from. One of the biggest, uh, I told this to one of the biggest paiskim in America, and he told me 100%. He said it was always an advantage of Chal Stam. He was not, again, endorsing Chal Stam. He said, definitely... This was an advantage that Chal Stam had at the time. It was never a problem. So I was happy. He said he had been saying this for years. I was happy. Um, I was machavin to what he said. So what was the feedback you got on this research? Obviously, you, you know, you're not a place and you're getting this research and you're saying coming at this conclusion. What was the feedback? So we can start, by the way, with, with, with Askamas on your safer, or you can do that after. However, you can tell me who you got Askamas from. I'm sure the listeners want to hear. You have a lot of Askamas. Tell the listeners, you're not going to put out a safer like this without, I don't assume. So no. you want to, you could say the feedback, the Askamas, however you want to go, the Askamas are feedback. There were some interesting things in the Askamas. My Askamas, Baruch Hashem was very nice Askamas. From very very prominent big rabbanim, but there were a lot of rabbanim that I got so that I had dealt with the shiloh that did not unfortunately did not give me askamas, but were very enthusiastic with what I wrote. So I wrote all this information up in a four, 14 page paper in English. I sent it to rabbanim and I presented to people, and I, I would say ninety nine percent praised it very much, and they were very happy for many reasons. Some were for Kalvi, some were sympathetic to Kalvstam, and some because of. Um, other the other issues in Stam that people shouldn't be nechshal, you know, Baruch Hashem Kaiso isn't and hasn't been nechshal in Trefus, which is a shayel chamura. Um, um, some of them were were very helpful. Um, some of them there were rabbanim who were when re- really people weren't like um, paying much attention when I was coming to them. There were some that were extraordinarily helpful and listening. One is Rav Kalman Epstein, who I was zeichet to get askama from. Um, and I went into ice room. I went back to the ice room and I, uh, some of them were receptive to what I said. They said that um, they heard what I was saying. And uh, a few Hasidic Shorabanim said this is a big tale even for them. There, there were, um, I, I just want to say, one of, the, one of the most prominent ice room who told me that um, he said that he will not give me Askama because he feels like it would be an endorsement on Chalf Stam. 
um, told me that one of the reasons, another reason he doesn't want to give askama is because um, the Metsias can change. I just want to deal with this for one second here. People are going to say the Metsias could change. Now, again, the Metsias could change, right? That's true. But the onus is going to be on the Isram to say it's Asr. Again, this is a Suffolk Isr. It's Mutter. For somebody to say it's Asr, they're going to have to say that the milk in your bottle, all farms have trephas. I don't know what they're going to do. But I discussed this with him and I told him, I said, that's not the way it seems. It doesn't seem that it's going to ever become Asr because I don't know if anybody in the Jewish in the cashless industry will ever have information on all the farms. I don't know if the farmers are going to share information and we're never going to know for sure where your milk came from. Also, you tell me that you know on every farm in America, the 35,000 farms that are currently around, they have surgeries. Somebody wants to get information on that, they could get that. But that that's the onus is the bull is in their court. And somebody who wants to ask her, it's Becheska's Hetter. And when I told it to him, he agreed. And he said, it's still Chalostam. He doesn't want to give a Haskama. Okay, so I will mention, you have Haskama here from Renata Greenblatt, Roshul Kavanetsky, Roshul Miller, um, Rebruven Feinstein, who interesting talks about his father's Psak on Chalostam, Rav Mishas Psak, he mentioned talks about Haskama. So interesting historic Haskama. historic uh, Haskama. <laughs> yeah, he, he, uh, he, 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 he mentions it here. People can read the Haskama. Um, Rabbi Shmuel first from Chicago, Rabbi Forsheimer, somebody could about your Brudni, um, Rabbi like you mentioned, um, Mordechai Yafin, and you have here also Rabbi Chaim Toyin Feinstein. Where's it go? Barrel Feinstein, right? Yeah, yeah. So I just want to talk about David's son. So they mentioned him a second. I was wrong. You'll go back to a second. David's son, and you have Baruch Maskowitz, and then you have from uh, Rabram uh, Gordimer, right? From from yes. Milia. Right, so so I just want to mention a few things about Askamas that Baruch Hashem was zayichet to. Um, Reb David, I was Reb David has held the milk as mutter for the Shaiwa, and I've heard it from his mouth. I know like twelve people who heard it from his mouth. I was zayicha to to be able to present this information to him. Bechayev, Aydes Talmud, Reb Baruch Maskowitz. He wrote in his in my um, in his letter in the beginning of my sefer. He wrote that um, he presented the information to Rab David. And um, one of the other Rabbanim asked me to get um, um, from Rabbi Barrel Feinstein as well, uh, Scott, saying that his father held this mother. Rabbi Barrel did not write about my safer actually, but he wrote that Rabbi, that Rabbi David held this mother. So that's um, on that end. Rabbi David was, was very adamant that it's mother always, and he was very, as, as I heard, I did not see Rabbi David's reaction, but Per his Talmud, he was very happy with the information. It was he had held his mother for similar reasons, and uh, he was enthusiastic. That, that's why I heard that he, that it was um, that it, that it was mutter. Um, and also, of course, the last the last letter I have over there, the last askama from Rabbi from Gordimer, who is considered by many the biggest expert on milk in America. He helped me very much. Um, clarified a lot of stuff. He knows as much and more than many dairy experts that spend their time trying to figure it out. I mean, I didn't go through every part of the dairy thing, but there are some things I read, books and books and uh, articles and everything I figured out to the T and he was holding with me when I was calling him and he helped me very much. And uh, he was very enthusiastic about uh, the safer. Okay, so, so you know, uh, I mean, so what would you say, you know, get to the end, there's a purpose, the point of the safer. Is it to some people's mother? Is it just to present your research, you know, purely just like uh, theoretical based? I mean, it's just um, for lumbus for learning. I mean, what, what's the, what, what do you think the, the point is? 
Um, so I'll tell you the, the purpose is twofold. I compile my information on the surgeries. If somebody ever wants to learn, if they have a cow in front of them that had surgery, or they want to know the Shiva, throw a bunch road on it. That's the first half of my safer. It's called Hatrefus. Um, I compiled all the 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 details of the surgery. I wrote an introduction detailing the specific surgeries that they use and the way that it's done. And then based on that, I have seen manam on the surgeries that we can figure out. Person can figure out what the hawach is. That's one thing. It's what Tayawas Hawaimit. Hopefully, I hope people look at that. And then the second half of the safer is on the tzad that the cows are treif, why the milk should still be mutter, which is based on my research on that what I presented before that the milk is that there are farms that are that are kosher and their farms that are not kosher and that they're it's not possible to trace the milk. And that's all in the Iker and Simon test in the second half of the safer in the, in the, in the 19th Simon. That's where um, I deal with the facts, with the dairy process, with what's going on on farms. I also deal with a, a little bit about the, the the large farms versus small farms, about how milk travels from state to state, which is another important thing that people think that milk stays, New York milk that's milked here stays in New York. That's not true. 20% of milk in New York leaves the state, goes to New England, goes to Pennsylvania. A trucker told me he drove milk from Idaho, 2,500 miles that was milked in Idaho to New York. Milk goes everywhere. A guy from New England told me he drove milk from New England down to Georgia. Milk goes everywhere. So there's no way people think that they're going to be able to just get a, get information about a farm, figure out exactly what's going on. It's not that simple. I hope people look over there. Um, and again, I am not imposing. I am not a Pisic. I'm not imposing my Pesach on anyone. Um, everybody should look into him themselves. All I'm saying is that I, this is really the main purpose of my Safer. Um, I want the issue to be revisited. I don't think um, it was dealt with correctly originally in my opinion um the way it was analyzed mitzad the mitzias mitzad how to look at forgetting like a bird's eye view forgetting about the surgeries thinking about kalfstam where it comes from and that there may be other methods um i hope people look at it and it you know food for thought people look into it come to their own conclusions they don't have to accept what i say about i feel strongly about it again it's only an isadar at most and it's not possible to be traced and there are kosher farms but People could look at it. They could come to their own conclusions. And there are more atarian based on it. I'm not going to go into it here. I presented in my safer that the milk is mutter because of Suffolk Darabana Wakul. Because, again, there, it's a, it's a Darabana at most. And it's a Suffolk where it came from. It could be it came from a kosher farm. There are Paiskim. I heard this from two Paiskims, two Gedoya Paiskims mouth that said, based on my information, that it could be it's called the parish, Meruba parish also. You say, you go Basaroiv. I didn't write that in the safer. I didn't, that was not my avenue, but it could be there are a lot of other heterim that are that could be used here. And people should realize that even if you did somebody didn't wasn't so sympathetic towards the materium and the surgery, but when when you have this heter, it could be that the heterim for the surgery are even are even uh easier to be relied on because if it's really mutter, so then you could say maybe other heterim. For the surgeries that I heard from a, one place, like he said that based on your information, which he holds his mother Wagamri, based on what I said, he felt that you could even say that the surgeries are mother, whatever that's for a person to decide, not me. I just, I really want the issue to be revisited. It's been like thrown into the dustbins of history. People think Holstam eaters, there are Rabbanim, prominent Rabbanim and Flappish that have been telling their Mispaulim and their Talmudim. There's a very big Paisik in Lakewood who says that it's Asr. And I just want people to look into the Shiloh again. It's a very practical Shiloh. We're not only talking about people hugging us. It's relevant for dairy equipment. It's really for formula, for elderly. It's a very negative kashaw. 
and I feel like it should be revisited and Yishma Chacham V'yesef Lakach. That's what I hope. Okay, so like I said, it's available now in farm stores and I will post the link. Uh, I'll post a link where people can purchase it, but they can purchase it on a variety of websites and farm stores. Um, also, like I said, you do have that English write-up. So I think people can email you. I don't know, I'll put your email, but you want to tell people your email, can they contact you? Is it available that you can send them just the English sort of short synopsis? Obviously, that's much more in the safer. Yeah, yeah. So so um, if people want the English, they could do it, but I did a much better job in the safer. Just the, it's much clearer. But uh, yeah, they could email me um, at... Um, You'll put the email on, I guess, uh, mmblumenfracht at gmail.com. Um, it should be in all these farm stores, hopefully. I mean, it is in all these farm stores. I don't know what I'm saying. Um, it's in all these farm stores in Muncie, in Lakewood. It's in. Uh, it's going to be in Judaica Plaza. It's going to be in Muncie, in, in Wishkas, Americas, and there's in the Bermans, and Eichhorst. It's going to be around Beagleisen. I think it's even getting to Baltimore and to Shopsy. So it's going to be around, and hopefully... The, the purpose of the Safer, again, is I want people to revisit the issue. The Oum could say what they want to say. The Oum could say their opinions. The Oum should look into it. But this is not, I'm not coming to say I sealed the book, just to open the book. Everybody should go and look into it themselves. They could feel free to whatever they want to do. Okay, perfect. And uh, so just finally, um, you know, is there, what are you doing next? Are you are you gonna do in Cholostam? Are you done with milk? I just I just do that. I'm not saying that you're doing that. Are you gonna are you you working on something else? Are you just uh, taking a break? But uh... no, so it's interesting. I I didn't plan to write this safer. Just Baruch Hashem, it fell into my lap. But um, as I was doing the research on the traceability, so something interesting came up about Cholostam, which I'm just gonna put out the theory. Um, again, my safer does not deal with Cholostam. I said it. In the safer, I think four times. It's only for those who eat Cholstam. It's not nothing to do with Cholstam. The only one who speaks about Cholstam in safer is Rabbi Ruben Feinstein, and in the Askama. I don't endorse, not endorse. It's not. I'm not qualified for that. Um, it's just that when I was doing my research about the traceability, um, I the, the the truckers were telling me the the truckers and the the dairy experts were telling me that the process of how they pick up farm, right? They pick up milk from different farms. So what they do is they go to a farm, they take a sample of the milk from the farm has a bulk tank. Every farm has where all the milk is stored. They take a sample. They test it for antibiotics to see if a cow received medicine because that you know how to sell. You have to discard that milk. And if it passes, they put it into the truck. Then they go to the next farm. They put it into the truck. They test it in the truck. So then they come to the plant. Now the plant, before it unloads that milk, they, they retest that whole tanker. They don't want to put the tanker into the soil because, again, it will get mixed up and it will contaminate. So they test it again. Now, um, if they find a positive test of antibiotics, they go back to the samples that they have from the farm that they collected, and they retest it at the plant. Whoever has the highest antibiotics or positive, I don't know how it goes, is responsible to pay for that truck's milk, which is tremendous amount. It could be a farmer's whole profit for a year. So there is a very big mirsus of playing around with milk. There's also other tests. They do composition, somatic cell, check fat. There's a Gerber test that they use, a chemical test to see fat content. I didn't look into this. I spoke to two, I spoke to a few professors very briefly about it. And I spoke to um, some Rabbanim, some dairy, from dairy experts um, about this because it should seem that Ramosh's Hetter is possibly, which again, this is all just potentially, it could be Ramosh's Hetter is stronger than it was back then because there are other tests um, that are done 
to see, and there's a bigger mirror, there's a bigger fear of penalties because a farmer knows that if he's caught on a positive test, he's done. Even Rav Yashav, who did not agree with Ramesh's hat there, he, the way he's quoted is he didn't say that you need a Jew present at the farm. He says that um, government supervision, he didn't like it because you can mix up to 2% or 1%. I forgot the exact numbers. Now, if there would be a Matthias in the world where you cannot mix up a mashahu into it, let's say there would be some test and it would be done legally required. I don't know if Rabbi Yashav would be as opposed to, Rabbi Yashav said the, 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 his issue was that they could mix it up. He wasn't opposed to the use of an Anansahadi for um, supervision. So that's something that I would like to look into. I spoke to two people in the industry. One person said that I'm absolutely not correct and it would it would not come up on, the t- it's not a mirsus. And one told me it's Pasha that it is a mirsus. It's Pasha that what I'm saying is correct. I don't know. Um, he said he's been saying it for years. He's like, you didn't even figure out what, this is not even your discovery. Um, it just came up by the by, but I'm not looking into it. Again, this is all theoretical. I'm not discussing Ramesh's Hatter. I didn't discuss Ramesh's Hatter in the safer. That's for everybody to do what they're doing. It's just maybe something I will look into in the future. Okay. Very interesting. And, uh, you know, the safer is very interesting. So everyone can, can check it out. Like I said, I'll put a link, check out in the farm store and I, and put your email address. Well, people have questions or comments for you. Uh, they want to have English ones. So thank you once again for joining me. Thank you for having me.